0: the last time we had today's guest on the glenbeck podcast was april of 2019 and the world was a vastly different place the main thing you need to know going into this podcast is that today the day we're recording this is january 7th 2021 this is the day after the protesters stormed congress Today's guest had one of the best responses to the chaos that took place yesterday. He tweeted a quote from Martin Luther King. The ultimate weakness of violence is that it is a descending spiral begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. The guy who quoted Martin Luther King yesterday, Matt Kibbe of Kibbe on Liberty right here on Blaze TV, Welcome, Matt Kibbe, to the Glenbeck Podcast. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Matt, I feel as though you and I have been here before, Uh, and uh, there needs to be a new path forward. Uh, to be able to save the republic and save freedom. Uh, Give me your first, your thoughts on what happened at the Capitol.
1: Yeah, um, watching what went down at the Capitol yesterday uh, forced me to go back and think about a lot of the things that, that we did together as we were participating in the early days of the Tea Party movement and and how this was fundamentally different—a a mutation, a, a corruption of of those principles—and and, and I, I'll tell I'll tell you a story that I don't think you've ever heard before. I think it was 2010, and we had organized a bunch of of activists to come to Washington D.C. We were fighting against Obama's oh. health care bill, and one of the things we planned on doing—we spent the entire day reading about the civil rights movement and reading about Martin Luther King and nonviolence oh. and and we actually did explicit nonviolent Training, because uh-huh. we knew that we knew that violence was not only morally not us, but it was a really bad strategy to to ape the tactics of the other side. Um, but one one thing that happened during that day is a bunch of activists agreed to do uh, what was called a die-in. They were going to actually go to Nancy Pelosi's office and lie on the floor of her office and die. And this was a this was a tactic uh, borrowed from the left, correct? And they went up there and they planned that it was going to be nonviolence. They they got to Nancy Pelosi's office and a police officer, a Capitol Hill police officer, came up and said, "Folks, you can't be here." And instead of anything else, what do you think they said? They said, "Okay, officer, we'll move on." <laughs> I remember that. I do remember it. Yeah, yeah. And so they they did not have it in them to do the sorts of things that the left does on a regular basis and they very much respected that officer and they respected the rules and they, you know, they, they peacefully went on their way and we did other things. And, and I was thinking about that watching the, the uh, uh, Trump activists in Pelosi's office and I said, this, this is a disaster. It's a, it's a disaster for our values but it's also a disaster for our liberties. If you're, if you're wanting to move forward in an agenda, um, creating the narrative that the left so wanted to say oh, yeah. about us back in the Tea Party days. Mm-hmm. Now they got it. Now now, now, Trump activists, uh, fairly unfairly, everybody's going to get drawn into this narrative that this is a violent movement. Um, and you remember they used to call us Tea Party activists, terrorists. Yeah, I know. And we're, we were terrorists because we were waving copies of the Constitution. Yeah. And now now they have that narrative, and it's devastating.
0: So, Matt, I agree with you. There's many reasons that um, what happened yesterday at the Capitol happened, but there are zero excuses for it. Um, Other than, you know, people are frustrated and they don't know what else to do. I think there are some people um, now that are on the right um, that are frustrated and think that violence is the answer. But... All you have to do is look at history to know that Malcolm X, his ideas were a disaster when he was saying, go after him, get him. And while people fought Martin Luther King in his own movement, they fought him and said, come on, man, how much more of this do we have to take? His idea, Gandhi's idea, Jesus' idea is the right way to fight make yeah. the case for a nonviolent
1: movement yeah well first of all um just aping the tactics of the violent left you have to appreciate two things one that doesn't reflect our values and a movement that's not rooted in the values that you're fighting for is is corrupt and will never work and two guess what people we've always known this there's two sets of rules And if you're gonna behave like the left, hoping that the political class and the media and law enforcement treat you the same way, that's that's not gonna happen. But the, the most important thing, and this is what Dr. King spoke about so often, and we've talked about this for years, you and I have, is that the tactic of nonviolence is the most powerful force in the world. Violence doesn't work. Violence actually makes things worse. Okay, it creates wait, wait. an opportunity.
0: Uh, let me just play devil's advocate. Uh, you and I have okay. been talking about this for 20 years, so I'm playing devil's advocate here. Founders went to violence, they had to have violence. You say violence never solved anything. Well, it solved the Civil War and it solved slavery.
1: You know, it's funny, As of course, we used the, the Boston Tea Party as mm-hmm. the model for the actual Tea Party. And what was most interesting about the Boston Tea Party is the way that Sam Adams and other activists organized it in such a way so that it did not devolve into the kind of violence that you would have expected very much at the time, because at the time of the colonists, um, the British soldiers were gunning them down in the streets. And yet no one was killed, no one was hurt at the Boston Tea Party. They very, in a very strategic way, focused on the tea which they viewed as a, as a symbol of crony capitalism and, right. and government oppression. Um,
0: didn't know. burn down the ships, didn't desecrate the ships, uh, didn't yep. molest anyone. Um, many times we're just like, Captain, we're only after this. Stand over there and we're just doing this. And they did it. Uh, they were yep. very careful that they did not do anything but dump the tea in.
1: And that uh, you know, there's that famous John Adams quote. Uh, at the time, he argued, and I'll butcher the quote. The quote, but he said at the time that one third of the American public were patriots, one third of the American public were in the tank with the British, and a third of the public were watching to see what was going to happen. Yeah. And what the what that nonviolence did is it galvanized the people that were trying to figure out who they were going to side with. Mm-hmm. And and to me, that's that's everything that we're trying to do today. And we'll get into this, but our job is not to convince Nancy Pelosi or Al, or Alexandria Ocasio Cortez <laughs> that freedom is a good idea, or the
0: Republicans.
1: <laughs> yeah, or the Republicans, um, or any politician for that matter. Yeah. And and yeah, I think there's exceptions, but uh, that's that's not the point of a strategy. Our job is to reconnect with the American people who are struggling to make sense. Of what's going on today and to me that's a massive opportunity but if your strategy is violence you are damaging everything that we're trying to do explain
0: why 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 i mean martin luther king said it just it turns you into them um can you go into that to explain why it just doesn't ever work
1: I, I tweeted, and I'll, I won't try to quote Martin Luther King because I would do a disservice to his quote, but um, he, he gives that, that amazing speech about how violence begets violence and hate begets hate. And violent tactics only feed the evil that you're fighting against. And I think that's part of the problem is, is violence gives demagogues um, think about think about your worst nightmare in terms of legislation, in terms of a politician that would have more power. Violence gives them a platform to de- delegitimize you and to expand their power. And I mm-hmm. think one of the things that's going to come out of yesterday is a radical uh, diminishment of our liberties in the name of public safety. That happens all the time. This is what they feed upon. Um, but it's also... Um, you know, and I think this is this is where and obviously uh, MLK s- studied and spoke to Gandhi about this stuff. And and there's there's an entire global history of nonviolent movements that have fundamentally changed the world in favor of freedom. Um, it's the only way to win hearts and minds. No one wants to join a violent movement and you're, you're just feeding your enemy's power.
0: So the the secret, though, of it. Um, that Dietrich Bonhoeffer learned because he tried the nonviolent approach, and then eventually he was part of uh, um, the uh, valkyrie uh, attempt on hitler 's life, and he was a pacifist he didn 't believe in killing i mean he was he was he lived these principles it wasn 't a strategy for him that 's who he was, but what he figured out was the opposite of Gandhi. Gandhi said, we're not, we're not trying to be nonviolent for the Indians. We are doing it to the Western, the Judeo-Christian West. They will recognize good over evil. What Bonhoeffer, who, was, who wrote many times, I've got to talk to this Gandhi, I've got to talk to Gandhi, he gets it, he understands. What he didn't understand until too late was, the Germans had already darkened their heart so much that there was no Judeo-Christian value that was the
1: overriding mass appeal. Correct? Yeah. 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 Very much so. Yeah. We libertarians have this uh, obtuse phrase we call the, the, the non-aggression principle. And it basically says uh, you shouldn't hurt people or take their stuff. Yeah. But you very much have a right to defend your life and your family when when someone has has aggressed against you. Um, and that's not what we're talking about here. If if I'm in Nazi Germany, I am fighting for my life, and the rules of the game are are fundamentally different. Um, that's not what we're talking about in America and and i would i would go on like one of the textbooks that we provided tea party activists in that story that i told at the beginning of this conversation was a book called a force more powerful i know i've sent you a copy i've i share it with everybody and it's it's case studies of nonviolent revolutions that fundamentally changed the world and and of course gandhi's story is in there and mlk and the civil rights movement is in there uh the solidarity movement is in there and the 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 it's just empirical evidence that shows that people united in a set of values that are universal, the values that are going to be appealing to the rest of your countrymen and your community, um, that that's how you do it. There is no other way to do it. Well, um,
0: I will tell you that I heard of a lot of people say, well, you know, this is the way they were doing it, you know, this summer. Yeah, they were. They were. And it was wrong for them to do it that way. But the proof is in the pudding at the beginning of Black Lives Matter, when nobody knew what it was and it was just, hey, do you hate black people or you think black people should be shot by cops for no reason? And everybody was in love with this idea and everybody was out marching. They had about a 78 percent approval rating. They were more popular, I believe, than the military was or within a couple of points most popular organization in all of america by the end of the summer it was in the toilet it was in the 20s or or just approaching 20 that is because of the violence people didn't go to the website suddenly and realize wait a minute they're anti-family they're anti this they just saw that as that's a violent group of people
1: i don't want to have anything to do with it yeah and i and we should we should point out and i I was uh, very sympathetic to um, the early nonviolent Black Lives Matter protests because, as I understood it, speaking to some of my progressive friends who were very much part of that, um, their argument was, in the context of law enforcement and the justice system, black lives are not treated equally with white lives. Right. And and I, I happen to believe that. And I could show you data that, that shows, particularly in the context of the drug war, there's been a very... Mm-hmm. Uh, a disproportionate mm-hmm. um, enforcement of of the laws, but the moment they got violent, and by the way, it wasn't the people that were righteously showing up the street no. protesting violence that got violence. There was a bad apple, or bad apples, or perhaps an organizational bent towards violence that's absolutely the truth in antifa i believe that it's probably true with blm's leadership as well so you have to always distinguish between people that are trying to desperately fix the system and they're showing up because they don't know what else to do versus the professionals who want somebody to get hurt i wrote an op-ed
0: i wrote an op-ed i think in 2016 we were covering the black lives matter uh rally or march here in dallas when policemen were shot and uh, because we were there and so were the marchers when the shots rang out, all of us just became human and we all, you know, rushed into alleys or hid behind cars. We didn't know what the shooter was, where, where the shooter was. And you kind of bond at that moment as humans. And, um, I had an opportunity to actually sit and talk to the marchers. And when I was truly listening to them, what they were what they were marching for was, please, someone listen. Someone listen to us, please. And they didn't associate with the Black Lives Matter, the anti-family. In fact, they were the opposite of that. That's the scary thing that you and I both have warned for so long. Be careful who you're standing next to. They, You might agree with them on this one big issue, but you have to know what else they believe because they are going to either ruin your movement or you're joining their movement and you're, you don't know what
1: you're in for. You're on the wrong side. Which, Which, by the way... Is why we need to police our own community um, as aggressively, as fairly, maybe more so. We need to hold people sort of uh, let's let's accept the right-left thing, right of center. Um, even even though I've never been part of of Trump nationalism, I feel an obligation to speak up, and I have. I all going all the way back to 2016. You can find an article I wrote on the Blaze. Uh, talking about the violence at Trump rallies. And and it was very much uh, Trump activists sort of falling into that trap when they were goaded and, mm-hmm. and even, even violently attacked by leftist protesters. They started punching back. Well, and,
0: th- th- because in 2016, he was encouraging that.
1: Yeah. He, I mean, from yeah, stage, it, he was encouraging that. Yeah. And to me, that... And I, I wrote about it, grossly irresponsible yeah. on, on, on candidate Trump's part. Yeah. Um, you, ha- you have to speak up and hold your folks accountable first. And I'll go back to what we did with the Tea Party. You, c- you can go back and look at the rallies. Um, part By 2010, when we knew that people from the other side were going to infiltrate and make us look bad, a key part of my stump speech, you can watch these old speeches on C-SPAN, mm-hmm was um telling my folks and sometimes they didn't really enjoy it that much but mm. i said there's zero tolerance for violence for bad actors um even if it's a sign that that doesn't yep. match our values yep. uh, we're going to ask you to leave and and by the by the way it's not going to be me it's going to be the neighbors that are going to surround you um you have to police your own community first and and i see this dynamic um where the left Absolutely turns a blind eye to antifa violence and and the looting of, of of shops and stuff like that And I don't think that Anybody that calls themselves a conservative or a Republican. I'm a libertarian. Whatever you want to call yourself You got to hold everybody to the same standard
0: You know, I re- I remember um, Doing the show on Fox where I asked everybody to come together and we started the 912 project and it was based on nine principles, twelve values, and um, and I did that for a reason because it wasn't about Donald, it wasn't about Barack Obama, it wasn't about health care. It was about principles and values, and and I remember meeting with you the first time. Do you remember the first time
1: we met? I think it was. Um well, it would have been in Dallas, right? No, no. it was in New York, New York,
0: in my office in New York. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and I was very hesitant to meet, meet with you because I did not. I know. At the time, you're running FreedomWorks, and I did not want this to turn political. This was about principles and values. And you and I sat down in my office, and I realized you're a libertarian. You're not, there's, there's, you're not a GOP guy that's looking for power. You're looking to teach the same things. And uh, the first Tea Party you, you, March you, you was, on it nine, was on 9, was on nine twelve, 12 And yeah. there was something, in fact, I've heard several people who were at the march yesterday said, look, I attended all the old Tea Party things and the things that, you know, the Restoring Honor events, and this just felt different from the beginning. There was something that was different, and it wasn't necessarily the leadership It was just a pocket of people who nobody had briefed that crowd on and said, look, remember, we're not violent. We're not any of these things. Squash them, point them out, get away from them. Um, And that was really
1: important to both of us. Yeah. And and like the entire legitimacy of the cause depended on that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you, by, by the way, you, you are a tough interview. You, you grilled the hell out of me. <laughs> uh, apparently I
0: passed the test, but. Well, uh, I just, I didn't want it to. Uh, it had to be bigger than a political party. And as you know, uh, the, the whole Tea Party thing and even FreedomWorks kind of fell apart after you left because it was a hostile takeover By. Infiltrating of the GOP Um, Yeah They saw it as something they could use And it turned into something ugly
1: Politics um, Politics broke the Tea Party Ultimately And I think that's a a lesson we can apply For for how we move forward And um, I'm not against Being involved In political races um, As long As you believe That the person that you're fighting for actually shares those values. And it's a very hard thing to figure out as we've learned the hard way. But, you know, the very first race that we got involved in in the Tea Party movement was Mike Lee. And, and I have to say to this day, I'm, I'm still really proud that I was involved in that fight.
0: I have to tell you, I haven't I, I I can't think of another politician that I haven't been pissed at. You know what I mean? I might disagree with him from time to yeah. time. But I always I'll listen to him or I'll call him and I'll say, Mike, what is. And his answer makes me feel bad because I'm like, oh, crap. He's rooted in principle and the Constitution.
1: But we had this we had this slogan back then. We have to beat the Republicans before we can beat the Democrats. Yeah, it was an absolutely values based, nonpartisan mission where we were going to hold everybody to the same standard. And, of course, Mike Lee took out. A tired old incumbent that didn't stand for anything anymore. Mm. Um, but what happened is once once we created that that community, it was like crack for opportunistic politicians. They wanted to get on that stage, and yep. what be, what became a principled fight for principled fighters eventually became. Oh, we have to support the Republican slate, and oh, we have to win the presidency, and and it just became. About nothing, and I think once the once the Tea Party lost its moorings in those values and its yeah. willingness to hold everybody to the same standard, that's when things started to to so fade away.
0: That is, I mean, that was the problem with this with uh, this rally, where some people were saying, "Yeah, but I've had enough." So violence is no. You have to have the same standard. If it's wrong for them, it's wrong for you. Um, and, uh, and, but, but it doesn't seem to me, Matt, and this is really why I wanted to talk to you today. It doesn't seem to me that you could put the old tea party back together. Um, first of all, a lot of the people, I mean, that was, what, 10 years ago, 12 years ago now. Um, and so they're older, you know, we were in our forties when that happened. Um, and we're not exactly 40 anymore. And some of our supporters, Back then, the people who were really the diehards, that's a different generation. And a lot of water has gone under the bridge and a lot of people feel differently. We believed in the police. We believed in, you know, we could change the Republican Party. We believed in the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. Um, We we believed in ourselves being able to change things. Well, I don't believe in the courts anymore. I don't believe in the FBI, the DOJ. I do believe there is a deep state. I do believe that things are out of control. The media, I mean, I thought I didn't have any trust for the media in 08 and 09 and 10. Good heavens. That was that was baby romper room stuff. I don't believe in truth, justice, and the American way anymore because I don't think it exists how do you get people who have done it, have been belittled, stomped on, feel like they've just had their vote taken from them? They're mocked and ridiculed by their own party and their own people. They're tired. They're fed up. They're done. How do you appeal yeah. to that person and say, hey, we're, we're going to get together and do this?
1: Yeah, I I mean, it's it's difficult, and I, I could very much, like you just described, follow this 10-year process, um, starting with President Obama, his campaign, and David Axelrod, his key advisor, um, essentially calling us domestic terrorists mm-hmm. just for yeah. just for peacefully petitioning our government for right. a redress of grievances. So, I, I sort of – I get how some people ended up here, but I think the the mistake – um, going back to the to the to the sort of uh, death of the Tea Party, and then even Trumpism, the the core value of any grassroots movement can't be in a charismatic Person. leader. Yes. Right. It was never about you or me. Yep. It was no. It was always about the the thousands and thousands of leaders who were leading by example first. And I think I think the first thing we have to realize, and maybe this is that moment to realize that is a. Politics is not your friend. Politics is not the solution. If you put all of your eggs in a basket where you're going to elect someone and they're, and they're going to solve all your problems for you, you're forgetting what our core philosophy is. We, we want to be left free enough that we can solve our own problems. And and that, to me, is a fundamentally different ethos. You know, I think with your original uh, 9-11 platform you got at what today is still the yeah. right strategy. It, just, it took us a while to get here, and that's like we we got to we got to take on the culture, and let me define what I mean by that. Like I I think we've we've been trying a top-down approach to fixing our culture yeah. when our culture and those values that hold us together as Americans have been rotting from the bottom up, and we know how it happened. It's the education system. It's the media. It's the um, Hollywood. It's everything that has been teaching us, particularly young people, that these these American values aren't any damn good anymore.
0: Yeah, it's it's Uh, it's consumerism. It's it's everything, everything.
1: Yeah. And we need to take our message to the popular culture and we need to be speaking to people who don't know all of our secret code words, they haven't read Mm. Jefferson or Madison, and they would never identify as conservative or libertarian. They're probably not even sure what those are, or if they do think they know what they are, it probably is fundamentally different than we think it is. Um, And that means not doing sort of angry clickbait, rage against the machine kind of stuff. That that very much works worked for Fox News. It works for the angry left, but uh, the people in the middle—they they they actually want to find common ground. They want to listen to other people. They they want to feel like they're part of something. And the way we do that is not to not to create start a new po- political party. Maybe there be one. I mean, I'm a libertarian now. Maybe that's part of the answer, but I don't think it's politics. I think it's it's telling that story and treating people that don't agree with us with a modicum of respect.
0: So I I, I've talked to several senators and congressmen recently, and I've been saying this for a long time, but I think now it's really becoming important. Um, You know, I, I told them the birth of the of the Republican Party in the 1850s was the uh, beatdown of a senator who was standing up saying, I don't think either side, I don't think either party actually cares about slavery. You say you're going to phase it out, you're going to stop it. Hey, now you're all playing political games and almost beaten down, or actually almost beaten to death on the floor of the Senate. And um, and I, I've, I've told them, Somebody, we don't need a beatdown, thank God, um, but it might be coming, um, but we need somebody to stand up and say, I don't care, both of you suck, both parties suck, and I don't care, I'll work with anyone who just believes in the Bill of Rights, just the Bill of Rights. We are so far apart, nobody even knows what they are, and That's the problem and the solution. And I'm out. And, you know, if if they could get a few key people that could lead, if they don't do it, somebody else has to. But just say to people, look, do you believe in freedom of speech? That's being lost. We have to talk about what freedom of speech means. We have to understand that. Life is not fair. You're not always going to agree. In fact, most of your life, you're going to be surrounded by people you might think are pinheads that are over you. You know what I mean? You got to deal with it and move on with your life. We have to get back to this place to where. My parents, my grandparents, they didn't talk about politics. They didn't talk about religion because they knew it would piss everybody off. And I don't care. I I don't need to know that part of you. You you do in your bedroom. You do in your personal life. You do in your faith. Whatever. I I just I have bigger principles here: life, liberty, pursuit yeah. of happiness. You know. How do we get back there when we when that has been
1: so eroded even more in the last ten years? Well, isn't that potentially? The counter revolution. And we all know that counter revolutions are super cool mm-hmm. and you're fighting against the man and you're fighting against the status quo. But the new man is woke authoritarianism. Yeah. It's it's absolute intolerance for anyone that deviates from your view of, of what what the righteous way to behave is. Right. And to me, that's a big barn door opening for small l libertarianism because we don't really have any designs on your life. I just want you to leave me alone so that I can raise my family, so that I can go worship where I choose to worship, so that I can live my life as long as I don't hurt people or take their stuff. And you've, you've seen both Ben Shapiro He's he's a pretty conservative guy, mm-hmm. and Senator Mike Lee, a pretty conservative guy, make different versions of that argument. Uh, Mike, in the context of federalism, of of the whole the whole genius of the federalist system is it allowed different states and different communities to make different decisions on how they would govern themselves. And and Ben argues that the the only way out of the culture war, where we every four years we're going to fight so that we control power, so that we can make everybody else live like us, the only way out of that death cycle is to embrace a, a libertarian ethos. And we shouldn't actually be using the L word. We should figure out a way to explain this because it's basically what your mom taught you. It's an American so,
0: ethos. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a common sense ethos. It's, uh, it, 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 uh, it amazes me That so many people today think they just have the right to tell me or you or somebody else how to live their life. And I know this must seem ironic to a lot of the uh, to the left, because the honest ones were like fighting for the freedom of speech, you know, against conservatives that were saying you can't put a crucifix in urine. Yes, you can. I don't like it, but yes, you can. Um, is, so it must be, seem ironic for the honest ones. But it's ironic for me, because those people who said they were really for freedom of speech, they really were for equal rights with you know uh, gay marriage and everything else. I agreed with you. I agreed with you. But where are you now? Where, because now... Everyone is being forced because of another religious group and their, uh, you know, their, uh, their beliefs. I mean, global warming uh, and, and this Marxist uh, critical theory that's become a religion. And we're, it's almost a theocracy that we're living in. Now you deny yep. it,
1: no matter what your evidence is, you're out. And, and by the way, that says illiberal, as it is anti-constitutional, conservative. Yes, that that entire ethos of of authority and and appealing to people in power, and I and I see it in every argument we have today, from from lockdowns to global warming and everything else. And honest liberals, and they're absolutely all over the place in the United States. Um, a huge population of honest liberals that are distraught mm-hmm. by wokeism. And the cancel culture and all of this stuff. And I think that's that's one place where we can begin. And it starts with the First Amendment. And it it starts with um, being willing to not shout down someone that disagrees with you Um, because. But but we are
0: that's but at least half of the country is cheering. And I think to some degree, I bet it's 70 percent of the country cheers when their side silences the other and that I mean it's digital book burning right now, yeah yeah
1: well i'll 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 take thirty percent to start with that's <laughs> that's that's a lot more than any of the heroes we've been talking about had when they started their fights so i'm 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 very much comfortable with that, but I think like the the difference and in, in tactically and I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of, of big tech and how they control the conversation. But but tactically, we have an advantage because we're not making stuff up. Yeah, we're speaking truth. Um, and I'll, well, I'll have you read 1984
0: t- lately? I mean, it yeah, could be it could be the newspaper, you know, if anybody right. read a newspaper anymore. But I mean, it, it's shocking how relevant it is today.
1: But that, like the, the challenge on a, on a strategy moving forward that looks at speaking truth to power in this way, and that means calling out the media, that means calling out big tech, it means calling out the political class. The it means calling out yourself when yeah. you're wrong. It means calling out yeah. yourself when you're wrong. Well, I wish we could learn how to do that again, because it doesn't seem like anybody feels the responsibility of doing that anymore. I have to tell you, Matt, I, uh,
0: we sat around after my broadcast last night um, after a full day at the blaze of everybody, you know, broadcasting and, and Elijah Schaefer there in DC. And we all looked at each other, which I don't think we would have done 20 years ago. Cause it would have been normal. Um, but we looked at each other and said, who else has done what we've done? We have asked the really hard questions that we didn't want to ask because it will incriminate our side. We have not made excuses. We are exactly the same as we were on Antifa. Um, and we're really, truly trying to find the answers. And when we do, we call a spade a spade. That doesn't happen very often anymore because, well, we have this debate. Is it because people don't want to hear the truth? They just want to believe what they believe. Or is it that there is no credibility? There's no no one trusts anything. And everyone is been, feels betrayed by even their own side that they they don't know what to believe. And so they just trust themselves and what their gut says. Which is it, do you think?
1: We don't want to know I, the I truth it, or we don't believe anybody. I I think it may be a combination of both. And in our personal consumption of this stuff, we probably can't always discern the difference in those two things. Because it's painful when someone calls out one of your core beliefs mm-hmm. and says, that's that's wrong. You got it wrong. And you have to be willing to at least listen to the possibility that your team got it wrong. And but but it's, you know, we we all know about these echo chambers now, and, and that's that's a real thing. But again, going back to this theme of a counter revolution, particularly young people. Um, you know, they left Facebook a long time ago Uh because they didn't want to be manipulated. They Uh didn't like the idea that this scroll would prevent them from actually pursuing ideas that were interesting to them. So they binge watch things and they listen to Joe Rogan for three hours a day, which is utterly contrary to everything we thought Uh we knew about, about how people consume content. So I, again, you're not, you're not going to start with a majority, and go back to, to John Adams, if, if we have 30% mm-hmm. um, and maybe we don't have 30%, maybe we have less, but um, that doesn't mean that you can't create a better product uh, in active entrepreneurship where people that didn't even know they needed a better thing um, are still searching for things. And I, I, think, I think we have to lead, this is what I get into leadership is lead, leading by example. Even if you're the only person in the world that's willing to do it, um, somebody steps out first. And all of the heroes we've mentioned, they, they did that. Um, we have to do that. So I was thinking about,
0: you know, revolution and civil war <laughs> for the last 20 years a lot. Um, but uh, I was thinking about it here in the last, Probably eight nine weeks, a lot because I think the color revolution is is what we're witnessing right now—the beginnings of a color revolution—and um, it's being prompted and pushed, I believe, by very influential people. Um, and somebody said to me, "It's time for a civil war," and I I said, "Do you even know what that means? Do you know what that means?" and who are your allies? Well, we've got a lot of people in America. No, no, forget about that. Who are your allies? Who do you know that has power and money? A nation state that will actually say, "Hey, hey, hey." 50% of the population stood up recently. of the population of Hong Kong may have been more than 50%. It was at least 50%. The minute America turned inward and started looking at what was happening with coronavirus, China marched in and ended it, ended it. We've lost Hong Kong forever because nobody cared. Nobody was standing with 50% of the population. What chance do we stand in a in a civil war we have no friends or allies it's all anti-america or anti-freedom or big globalization there's no one out there
1: it i mean i i just look at the at any suggestion of violent overthrow of government or whatever and i always want to say well what's your end game yeah do you, really, do you really think that at the end of that, if you break it, do you really think that good guys are going to show up, angels are going to show up, and, yeah. and, and govern us uh, benignly? It, it, there's, there's, there's just no example for how this model works. And again, it's against our values. It, it, right. it fundamentally violates that. But so, you know, there is a. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, like. like I've been thinking about this in the context of of not just technology, but emergent workarounds to broken government systems. And a a great example of this is how parents are hacking the education system, having discovered it's sort of like it's sort of like they took the red Morpheus, gave them the red pill Uh and they discovered that is not a public education system, it's a government-run education system that cares a lot more about education bureaucrats than it ever cared about your kids. Mm-hmm. And they're they're learning the hard way and they're going through the curriculums, perhaps for the first time, discovering that this system's no damn good. And I forget what the data is, but, but so many parents have left the public system mm-hmm. and they're pursuing alternatives to that um, to me, the, the the revolution, if you will, is that individual action. If we if we've been trying to fix the education system from the top down and it just gets stronger and stronger, yeah. well, why don't we why don't we do it one household at a time? Mm-hmm. Um, and you you could apply that same logic to to charity. Like if you really want to dismantle the welfare state, take care and of. We've people. done this too, right? Yep. Go, go help go help a neighbor. Yeah. And, you know, the guy from Barstool Politics is doing that. Yep. Um, And I'm sure like thousands and thousands of people that don't have his big platform are doing the same thing. Yeah, We're doing
0: it. Mercury One is doing it. My charity. We set charity up. Mercury One was about if you want smaller government, you have to do more, you know, uh, because it's your problem. It's not Washington's problem. It's the problem that you have in your own community. So let's fix it ourselves. And it brings me to um, a possible idea to shoot for. And I guess that's the the 10th Amendment, the states. Um, you know, the, the, the bothers me talk of secession because yeah. I, 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 I don't want to secede from the United States. They do. They should leave. If you can't get back to the things that are in our national archives that are protected behind glass, then you're in the wrong country or something because these are our principles. Um, And it does no good to uh, to talk about that, even though I don't think we have much in common anymore. We have to reunite common Ideas and common sense back to all of us, both sides, all sides, before we can come back together. But I I worry about what might be coming down the tracks with an you know uh, an unbridled pack of of war horses uh, that are you know moving this critical theory and Marxism and everything else down the road. Is there something to be said for? A movement that is in your local and state, and that's it. Forget about the federal government. I mean, you know, keep your eye on it, et cetera, et cetera, and do what you have to do. But you put your energy in local and state, and you make your state a constitution safe zone. You know, it's a sanctuary state for the constitution. If they're passing something there, I don't really care. California, others, you can do that if you want we're not
1: we're not yeah. what do you think of that so like uh, the l word localism is yeah. a word that somewhere along the way we gave up you know we we give up words like community and justice and and localism and democracy and and from my perspective those are our words localism bottom up neighbor helping neighbor the um unimaginable power when free people come together and decide to do something for the common good that is ours that is our model that's how we think the world works that's how we know good things happen so it it's sort of and it going back to sort of the the, the the corruption of trying to elect someone to solve all of our problems that's not our model our model is local So I think absolutely it has to be um, you have to focus on your community and focus on your state and maybe worry a lot less about what Washington, D.C. is up to. I know what they're doing to us. I know what they're going to do to us. But if you work from the bottom up, um, you create a model for social change that would attract more people to it. I'm I'm part of uh, an, an organization called the Free State Project. I don't know if you know what this is. But no. Libertari- libertarians are moving to New Hampshire. They're actually pledging and picking up their families and moving to New Hampshire because they want to make New Hampshire that place where they can live freely. And I think their license plate even says something about that. Yeah, it but, does. Uh, it yeah. does,
0: but not a lot of people up in the North. I mean, I heard a... What was it? it? Maybe it was in White Christmas with Bing Crosby, you know, that movie. And yeah. they said something about going up to Vermont and, uh, you know, well, you, you don't want to be a Democrat up there. It was some joke about how there were no Democrats up there. And I thought, yeah. wow, things have changed uh, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they uh, that's not exactly a live free or die area,
1: is it? Yeah. Now? Well, you have, um, I mean, New Hampshire's biggest problem is Boston and people fleeing Boston. Yeah. As, just as uh, Vermont's biggest problem was people fleeing New York and then sending Bernie Sanders over, which, um, from my perspective, didn't work that well out for Vermont. But, you know, the idea was it's a, it's a small state and, and the ethos there, uh, left or right, I don't know what you call it, but there's there's an ethos of self-reliance which, again, is a very American value. I was going to say, that's American. That's not left or right. That's American. Yeah. And it's 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 also disappearing, right? Mm-hmm. Self-responsibility and self-reliance. Um, but I'm for thousands of experiments like that. Me too. Um, and that's, that's one of them. Um, I'm not against political experiments. Uh, I spent a good part of my life trying to make the Republican Party pro-liberty, um, I think it was a noble experiment that that hasn't uh, paid off for me personally where I sit today. um but but, getting back to this this culture stuff, um, this the storytelling and and the listening and the emotional appeal, I'm an economist who came to this very painful realization late in life that very few people think about things in the context of opportunity cost the way I do. And I drive my wife crazy with the way I think about the world. Um, but most people don't think about that. They mm. consume things through their emotions, and they process the way here, they it, interpret events through their emotions.
0: So let me present a problem that you and I have dealt with for 20 years. Um, liberals get that. The left understands that inside and out. It's, I, I, I like the analogy of we need each other because if, if you can relate to the theater, a bunch of conservatives on stage, that theater sucks. OK, there's no art in our soul, generally speaking, you know, um, but you also don't want a bunch of liberals in the back office. You don't want them running things. You, you need some responsibility on that. We need each other. We need each other. Um, and conservatives we we have been looking to you and i and others have been looking to appeal to people's hearts andrew breitbart was right on this but where is the money the left will spend money like crazy we we don't get our billionaires together and they don't they don't seem to believe in it so much that they're willing to spend they're willing to just Put the money on the line. I know it's a, you know, warm and fuzzy, squishy thing that's never going to pay off in politics, or at least not for a very long time.
1: Where are those people on the right? Where are well, they? It's, it's funny you ask that, because my day job is trying to find those people to fund what we do at Free the People. And, and in their defense, um, they probably funded a lot of those ham-fisted uh conservative projects that weren't art at all they were just um human action applied to a theater yeah and that's that's not how it works right you start you start with the story and you start with the art and 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 those values shouldn't be beating you overhead so so our side sucks we, we've established that and we've probably, you know, my investors have spent lots of money over the years investing in in very disappointing projects. So it's kind of a chicken and an egg thing. But the thing that I find most um, exciting when I go speak to a group of young people, Terry and I now give these my wife, Terry, and I give these joint speeches called Love, Liberty and the Pursuit of Happiness, mm-hmm. which is a series of personal stories about our life. And and you go speak at Young Americans for Liberty or Students for Liberty. You go speak across the globe. We, we just spoke to 1,200 kids in the country of Georgia mm. right before the lockdowns. On fire. And, and they are artists and videographers yeah. and storytellers and novelists and technologists. They actually have all of the skill sets we need to create a culturally vibrant movement. Whereas old guys like me, you know, I read a bunch of books. And right. I don't necessarily have the skill set to do that stuff, but Correct. we've been able to hire a lot of young people that do. So part of it's generational. Part of it is proving to investors that we don't suck. And that's going to be a, we got to dig out of that hole because there have been well, attempts part, and they haven't part, been that great. Part of this is, um, you know, I think a lot
0: of behavioral scientists because they, you know, uh, Bernays, you know, the history of Bernays, that guy changed the world. Um, Advertising until World War II was called propaganda. It was known as propaganda. Then propaganda got a bad name because of Goebbels, um, (laughs) as it should have. Um, But now we're so deep in behavioral scientists and and we know everything that will turn every button and switch. And the left employs these people. The left um, scoops them up, listens, plans, plots. We're sitting here saying, well, how come violence you know, doesn't work? They don't have to have that conversation because they have the, the biggest minds in America working with them. Knowing, don't do that, don't say that, move this direction. Here's how you connect with people emotionally. We got nothing. We got nothing. Yeah. How do we bridge that gap in this high-tech world that is happening so fast? How do we bridge that gap?
1: Do you remember, um, we're in Las Vegas, and you and Penn Gillette and I had a conversation yeah, for great. my show. And and we kind of asked him the same question. And I think I said something like, how do we how do we persuade people that liberty is better? And he sort of dressed me down in in, in a way that only he could, um, <laughs> because he, he argued that our job is not to convince people that we're right and they're wrong. Um, our job has to be. Uh, and I, I don't know how he said this, but the way I would say it is we need to build it and they will come live those values create art that reflects those values and don't be people over the head over it don't suggest that they're not smart enough to figure out how smart you are um and that is a very different strategy than the the, the one you're describing the propaganda strategy how to how to manipulate people's emotions and i don't want i'm not
0: saying no wait 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 i'm not saying that we should manipulate people's emotions but we don't have They are armed to the teeth with this machine. And the thing I love about libertarianism, and at the same time, I'm so frustrated with libertarianism, is nobody wants to work together. They got their thing, you do your thing, that's great. And that's good, unless you're in war. (laughs) And we are in war for
1: freedom right now. Yeah. Well, it's the... The the libertarian movement is still a cadre movement from my perspective, and it's it's populated by people with very strong opinions and and that sort of instinct not to work together. But getting back to that next generation of young people, they gather, they cooperate. They get the idea that um, free individuals can come together and create something bigger than they could have done by themselves. Right. And to me, it's a, it's a, these are growing pains. And it, this is why I am involved in the Libertarian Party right now, because I think, I think there is an opportunity to do something bigger that, that shows people, like, you remember those, those original marches and, and the, the march on 9-12-2000, the, the first one. Yeah. But, but there were several. But um, there is nothing like the energy of a million people showing up Mm -hmm. with the same values yep um you can't do that reading atlas shrugged no it's a different thing and so we we gotta we gotta get people to understand that working together is is a real um there's more there's more energy and more satisfaction doing that anybody can be pure and if we have to be pure alone that's fine but the but the opportunity, and, and again, getting back to what I think Penn was trying to say, is just do it. Just just lead by example, example. and show people what is possible, and that, uh, that doesn't that's probably the same with investors, right? you got you got you to gotta create a product and show that it's viable before you're going to get people to say, "You know what? That's a smart strategy. I'm going to invest in that." So, Matt, let me um, let me take you
0: now to what you think is coming our way. Prepare us mentally for what you think you live in Washington, D.C. You've been watching this nightmare circus happen for a long time, up close and personal. Um, is it as bad as I think it's going to be? Are they they I, I really believe that they mean what they say. Um, You know, I've been I've been called a crazy man for some of the things that I've said were coming and they turn out to be right only because I take people at their word. When they say crazy things and they have power, I take them at their word and it ends up usually that they're telling the truth. Are they going to do these things?
1: Yes, and they they have a weapon that they've never had before. They finally figured out how to appeal to our fear. And I'm talking, one thing I haven't talked about this entire hour is the never ending lockdowns Yep. and the stripping of our humanity and the stripping of our ability to feed our families and how that fed into everything that happened yesterday. Mm -hmm. We haven't even discussed that, but they have found a weapon. Fear is their weapon to use against us and uh, Joe Biden has said it's going to get worse before it gets better. Oh, yeah. No,
0: and a winter of discontent is what yeah. I think he he was describing. A cold,
1: bleak winter was one of his yeah. his phrases. So um, to me, just on a practical level, um, breaking through that narrative that somehow you have to um, attack your neighbor all these videos i see of of people attacking other people because they're not behaving the way that they Horrible. should they believe they should behave um, that is toxic and it it probably reminds you of, of uh-huh. the onset of of various authoritarian oh yeah regimes so we got to push back we got to push back with everything we have and here's a great example there was a there was a bar owner in new york city Um, and I don't, there's so many of these stories, but, but I hope I get this one right, who, um, refused to shut down and come up, came up with clever ways to avoid the mandates Uh of Cuomo and, and the communist mayor of New York. And they came and they arrested him and the entire neighborhood showed up and, and peacefully protested in his behalf. But as I recall, the end of that story was he hit a cop with a car. Uh And so he lost the entire narrative. As frustrated as we are, as angry as we are that people are shutting down our businesses, they're taking away our livelihoods, they're stripping us of our liberties, we're going to have to practice civil disobedience in ways that galvanizes the rest of the American public that is afraid of the virus, Um, they're afraid that they don't know what's happening, but they also know that they can't live forever. With the economy locked down and controlled by the government and and government allocating resources and deciding that this industry makes this or not makes this, um, That, to me, is an opportunity, but we got to do it right. So,
0: what do you suggest those people do? They're in California, I'm really heartened by what's happening in California. Because people I disagree with and who would not, you know, be welcoming to a phone call from me saying, hey, good job, congratulations. Those people who have always seemingly voted a different way are now seeing, wait a minute, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And they are standing up against the machine, peaceful, uh, most of it. Uh, If not in 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 California, I think mainly all of it. I don't think I've heard a violent story out of California from somebody who was in experiencing lockdown. And you have the biggest recall movement in the history of America happening right now spontaneously.
1: Yeah, that's to me, that's exactly what you do. Um, This is to to borrow a word. This is the resistance. And um, it's it's a chicken and an egg thing. I understand why a gym owner or a nightclub owner or a restaurant owner puts their entire lives at risk when they defy the authorities. They lose their liquor license, they get shut down, they get hauled into court. The only thing that protects them is a bunch of customers peacefully showing up and supporting them. And when they lose their license, showing up in the streets and and defending them, um, we could go back to the civil rights movement and And, look at some of those tactics. Um, you know, go go to the diner, sit down, have a cup of coffee. Um, if the police pull out the fire hoses, don't resist it's It's hard to say that well, it's easy to say it. It's hard it's to, hard do, to it. do um but you, by the way, you can't do it alone if if they if they divide and separate us, they'll just take us down one at a time. The strength is in numbers, and this gets to the sort of strength of community and the, the feeling that we had on that day in 2009 when we were not alone. Um, there's 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 a safety in that. There's a sense that you can make progress, um, but but we have to resist. And 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 I I love what I've seen in California, but honestly, I'm seeing other countries do it better than us. And I never thought that America would be sort of reticent in defending their liberties like I've seen over the last year. Matt, I hope that we can spend more
0: time uh, together in the next coming years, because I, uh, I think that um, it's important to share what we have learned and speak again to a lot of the people that were with us at the first time who thought i i mean it makes no difference it did did you read obama's book did you see what he said about the tea party and how no. oh you have to read it he uh in fact it's it's actually quoted in some of the obama you know action committee or whatever he's got going on it's quoted that uh what happened to him And how he was thwarted and how he couldn't get things shoved through really happened because of a very effective Tea Party. Now, they certainly weren't telling us that then. But here he is 10 years later going, the Tea Party was extraordinarily effective and modeling
1: what they're doing off of us. Yeah, that's heartening. Yeah. But. The and, and you made this point early on, the, the the right strategy for the future is not to reimagine no that, that glorious past. The world no, has no, changed. No. We've all changed and, and we we frankly we have better tools now than we had back then. So yeah, we need and to that, think more expansively. I mean I mean that there
0: we have I still have an audience that was there and They're tired and they they I think they have been convinced that they can't make a difference. And we've learned a lot. We've gone through a lot and we need to uh, find that spirit of hope and optimism that we had at one point and not this spirit of despair. It's over. And the
1: only answer is violence. It's not. Yeah. It's 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 not over. I. Even today, I'm an optimist, and today would today would be the worst day for me to say that because I know the power of free people. Mm-hmm. I know we have an ability to figure things out. We have an ab- ability to bounce back every time we take a hit. And that is the story. Of America, and I, I point to the the day that I discovered that the Tea Party existed was the day that Americans mobilized and shut down the Wall Street bailout that Nancy Pelosi and John Boehner, they were they held hands oh, on the my. House floor and they say, "We're going to do this." And the American people discovering this this new tool called technology shut it down. And that day I knew something was different. Um, today, our, our ability to know and do things and to organize is a thousand times better than it was then. Oh yeah. Um, so, so we can't do the same thing. We have to do something else. Oh yeah. And, and part of that is, is to tell that story and work from the bottom up. Imagine if millions and millions of people worked from the bottom up to take over their communities, to take over their school systems, to take over um, their county councils or whatever it is. I don't want it to be too political. But, Even
0: take, take but over, just take the- over control of their own life. Just take yes. control of your own life and destiny. Just that. Stop listening to what these people are telling you to do. I can't, I mean, I cannot believe, I, you could have told me a year ago, that there's no, there's no way uh, we're going to be free uh, with our business and, and we're, we're going to be wearing a mask for a year and they're going to talk about maybe two years and we're going to talk about mandatory vaccinations against something that was n- 99.6% non-lethal. You, I would have said you're crazy. And we've just rushed To, I think, at first To try to be decent people We don't want to kill people We don't know what we're dealing with Let's just do the right thing You know, four weeks later I can't believe we're still doing it And now, here we are Almost a year into it It's astonishing
1: I've never seen anything like it And it it caught me flat-footed It caught me by surprise And I'm hoping That the brave people that start the counter-revolution will give the rest of us the courage to join them. I agree. Because that's the only way out of this. It's the only way out of any mess that, that our politician, our political class creates for us. we got to join together and resist tyranny. Matt, thank you. Thanks, Glenn.
0: Just a reminder.